Welcome to Fork Pull Merge Push. This is a show about topics developers obsess over with hosts Escolati and guest engineers from around the world. Microsoft today is significantly involved in the open source community. They have TypeScript and Visual Studio code, but also many other things too. Today we are going to talk about all this and, of course, going to take a deep dive into TypeScript itself. Today in the studio with me are three persons who I hold in very high regard when it comes to type systems and TypeScript. Please welcome Sam Grönblom from our Tokyo office and Paavo Huhtala and Juuso Mikkonen from our office in Helsinki, Finland. We are going to have a summer break after this episode and we will continue with new stuff in the autumn. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast so far. Also, we have offices in New York, Tokyo, Amsterdam, Stockholm and in Finland. Please check reactor.com careers. I'm happy to have you all here. How are you doing, gentlemen? Very good. Very good. Yeah, thanks. Very good, very good. Ready nice to, to be go. here. It seems that Microsoft is really committed to having a big presence in the open source community. And of course, TypeScript was sort of a game opener for them in the field. But could you tell me what else is there in the open source field from Microsoft besides TypeScript itself? I could start like so many things. Um, maybe VS Code is the most visible for uh, us developers. Like most developers I know use VS Code these days, and that's yeah, that's obviously a Microsoft product. Um, they've also open sourced a lot of their like older stuff, and um, for example, the entire .NET ecosystem is is basically open source these days, which is really good. Um, and and so many smaller things, like for example, the Windows 10 calculator app is now open source, which is weird. Whoa, I didn't know that actually. Yeah, yeah. and also the new Windows 10 terminal is also open source, like straight from the start. Yeah, was there some kind of Linux subsystem involved? Yeah, there's an integrated uh, win- uh, like Linux virtual machine with heavy integration into the uh, win- Windows system. So it, it works quite seamlessly. So you can run like uh, Linux commands from a bash shell and then some Windows apps from the same shell and, and use the same file system. And it all integrates uh, pretty nicely. Yeah, and did you actually mention that it's also open source yeah, at least the like the Linux distributions they run uh, are of course open source. Like you can go to the Windows 10 App Store uh, and download like Arch Linux and Ubuntu from there. Oh, that's like that's something new to me. I didn't really know that they had like such a deep deep involvement. Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a huge change to what it used to be. Like something like five years ago, I remember around the time time when TypeScript was gaining popularity, and I remember being in a in a JavaScript meetup in Helsinki, where this Microsoft rep from from the states was giving this like ad talk about their new text editor slash IDE called Visual Studio Code, and back then I think products like Atom and Sublime Text were the were the big big ones used in web development, and it was a, it was a, I was very skeptical skeptical about Microsoft being able to pull off something in that space, especially since I didn't have very good experiences with the original Visual Studio, but just a few years later, it seems like everybody's using VS Code like all the time. I was also, <clears throat> just like you, so I was very skeptical about hearing about VS Code the first time. I was a Vim user and I thought that's just something for like uh, Microsoft Windows people who need to have their safe Visual Studio environment, but as cool guys, we don't need that. I, I probably won't use that editor, was what I thought at the time, but since a few years back, I, I switched to VS Code and I love it, yeah. Yeah, and like in the beginning, VS Code was basically a sublime text clone in, in a way, and they were kind of open about that because it, it had the same color schemes, the same basic uh, key bindings and that sort of stuff. So it, it was pretty clear from the beginning that they are not building a new Visual Studio, they are building a competitor to Sublime. And Adam, I guess, also. Adam, I guess which, was... my, which Microsoft owns these days, oh, yeah, funnily that's, enough. That's a full <laughs> circle there. Yeah. It seems they have made some acquisitions uh, recently, mm-hmm. or at least quite many. So what, what have they, they bought? Well, they have bought GitHub. Which that's is, big. That's, that's big. big, yeah. yeah. And they also bought NPM, 
which is interesting. Yeah, yeah the uh, package manager for JavaScript. That's... Yeah, I have to confess that I didn't know that they acquired npm too. Yeah, or uh, I also mi- missed that news. Or, yeah, actually, uh, technically, Microsoft bought GitHub and GitHub bought npm, so it's GitHub who owns oh. npm. But yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, it seems that like we are pretty deep in the Microsoft stack. Exactly. Right. Yeah. L- like nowadays, and like uh, if you would have yeah. said to me this like five years ago, of course TypeScript was a thing already back then, since it did exist mm. at least. Uh, then I would have like <coughs> believed a second that we would be so deep right yeah. now. Quite unexpected, but uh, I I personally have no problem with it. I think Microsoft is uh, actually pretty kind of feel-good company nowadays. I I like their CEO and I like a lot of things they're doing and many of their products are actually really good. So, but yeah, I I haven't returned to Windows yet. Yes, and if you think of like Clojure, which is, it isn't owned by a company, but practically it's driven by Nubank, which has recently acquired Cognitect. So there is often probably some kind of company that is investing into a development of a language, for example. So I don't know, Microsoft to me isn't different from that. So I, I think that it's great that somebody is putting the effort in developing new stuff and making things move forward. Yeah, and if you think about it, the, all the major languages before were also driven by companies, but back then they weren't open source, like like Java initially. So so I think it's it's definitely a step up that the even mm. though the big languages are developed developed and backed by companies very heavily, they are also open source that you, you are not 100% relying on the com- company to give you access. Yeah, that's true. So TypeScript, it's very old. Wikipedia says that it's actually eight years old already, which is even more than what React is. Based on Wikipedia information right now, it's seven years old. And I didn't know about TypeScript when I heard about React first. So mm. could you all tell me when you did first discover TypeScript and when did you use it for the first time? And did any of you encounter TypeScript before React? Well, I I, I could yeah. start. Hmm. Maybe yeah, probably you can go first. I could start with the last last point that yes, I did. Like I I started with TypeScript in I would say 2014, and I used React for the first time in 2016, and I used like I actually started with Angular JS and and TypeScript um, at the same time. It was a wild experience uh, back then. I can only believe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I, I felt that I was kind of an early adapter to TypeScript because I was using it before it was used very much, but it's still years later than Pavo. I think it was in 2017. I uh, discovered it probably at the time, but that was when I first used it in a project. It was this Greenfield full-stack React plus Node.js project that we were we were doing for this company. And it was actually me who suggested that we'd use use TypeScript. I wasn't too familiar with at the time, but I did like the concept of adding adding some type safety to JavaScript. And I was anticipating the project to be uh, long running and also a big code base. So I thought this this could sure, sure be of help. And if it doesn't work out, we can always go and remove the types. How about you, yeah, Sam? Actually, well, I also, the first time I used TypeScript in a real project at work was in 2017, like you saw. But this was after actually kind of following its development for some time. I, I don't really remember how I heard about it initially, but I think I used to have more time to like follow Hacker News and programming Reddit and stuff like that back in the days. So I think that's probably where it came up first. And I was quite interested in it because I was getting into like Haskell and static typing more and more in the days and anything that seemed like it could bring the same kind of benefits to a language that was more commonly used in in many companies seemed like a good thing to me. So the employer I had at the time actually had some kind of system where you were allowed to study a topic and write a report about it. So I started doing this on TypeScript and reading the spec and everything, but I don't think I finished it. But um, in the beginning, it was kind of like quite hard to, to get going with it because you didn't have easy to use, like uh, definitely typed definitions for everything. There were a lot of patterns in JavaScript that you couldn't really represent very nicely either. So I was just kind of following it from the sidelines. And every time there was a new version, I saw that, oh, now you can do this, now you can do that. And that's why in 2017, I started feeling confident enough that 
I proposed it in the project. And there was a little bit of skepticism, but I think everybody in the end was like, felt it was a good idea to use it. So, yeah. and after that, I think basically every project I worked on has included TypeScript. So I think it's really, I remember the days before TypeScript as like really uh, painful, stressful days <laughs> in many ways. Yeah, and I think that the JavaScript scene like around 2016 and 17 was still pretty wild, like things happening very fast. Oh, and new yeah. things yeah. coming up and things like also dying at some point. And it has like stabilized quite a lot after that. Yeah, yeah, those were, I think like 16 and 17 were like really formative and important years for, for TypeScript, especially. Um, because TypeScript 2.0 was, was a big one. I, it was may, maybe in 16 or 17 when it, when it was released and it added a lot of important stuff. And it also like changed the direction of the language a bit because when TypeScript started out like in the very early days. It was basically a competitor to Dart, which was like Google's own typed JavaScripty kind of thing. So it 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 was like JavaScript-like, but it, the like being fully compatible was not an explicit goal in the beginning. But like with TypeScript 2.0, they they um, they changed the direction so that it will be very similar to standardized JavaScript and just focusing on making the type system effective and and useful. That's like the basic fundamental decision that led to current popularity. Exactly, yeah. Didn't they originally at Microsoft have some kind of like uh, intention of having a lot of C-sharp developers and they just wanted to have a similar way of developing also for their JavaScript apps or am I that, that misremembering is, this completely? That, that might be one, one factor and I, 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 like I have seen many like uh, traditional Microsoft shops adopting uh, TypeScript just because it comes from uh, comes from Microsoft or it has mm -hmm. a cer certain taste in in a way. But uh, yeah. one origin story I've I've heard is that the, like they were working on Office Online at, at Microsoft, which is a huge code base reporting the entire entire Office suite to the internet, and it was not manageable without a type system. So they they started prototyping the language like internally, and it apparently went quite well. You uh, say that. Look at us now, yeah. everyone. Yeah. It's interesting that even even though they did this pivot to being more of a superset of JavaScript instead of a separate compiled language, uh, that there, there was still competition with. I, I remember Facebook's flow from that mm. time, and I think I think it, about the time when I started, it was really a tough choice between the two. I think because flow was from Facebook, it had better support for React, and th that was something that. TypeScript development with React was a bit painful at the time, but it's it's gotten much better afterwards. While while Flow has, I feel like it's mostly disappeared from, from yeah. like mainstream presence since then. Which is, I guess, there has to be a winner winner, but it's kind of a shame because it had some pretty in interesting ideas as well. And it, although the the code looked from syntax perspective very similar, it was it was very different different system under the hood. We can discuss about this kind of phenomenon of monoculture a bit later. I think that you already touched the subject quite well. I think that React still doesn't provide TypeScript types like out of the box you no, need to. Yeah. Mm. yeah, waiting for that day. Probably happening at some point. Going to a more technical viewpoint of TypeScript. So, of course, it's pretty obvious to everyone listening to this podcast that it's, of course, type system that works on top of JavaScript. I don't know how to define it. I'm not going to use the word programming language because mm. I don't think that that's correct word for this. But uh, could you open up a bit like how TypeScript actually works? Is the type system, for example, structural or nominal? And what does actually these terms mean? Yeah. Yeah. TypeScript is very interesting because it... Um like to to an outside observer when you when if you have experience in like a more traditional oop language for example and you take a look at some typescript code it looks very traditional it looks quite normal but then then when you start looking at it in detail then some things like they they don't make any sense like how can you do this is this possible how is this safe and and that's that's kind of the interesting part where, where it differs from um these many older traditional languages um, and, and and that's a good point that you said that you wouldn't call it a programming language um, because it is effectively just JavaScript with some static checks. So so 
the type system is really just a compile time thing. When the language has been compiled, all you all you have really is a pile of JavaScript code. And more about, about that, also also a pile of JavaScript code that very much resembles the original one. It doesn't touch the value level all that much. Mostly, mostly only erasing the types. Yeah. And yeah, when you when you mentioned that it's it's very different from these traditional languages, I I think the the main feature that stands up is the structural typing. Yeah. It's probably probably the biggest and most unconventional foundation of the of the type system mm. that makes it very interesting and sort of groundbreaking really in in the programming language space at least in the mainstream space yeah 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 so uh, may, maybe a disclaimer is that i'm actually not so deep into actual programming language theory i don't know who who is the most deeply into that in this podcast but i guess structural versus nominal is that structural means that the type is determined by the shape of a value, while nominal is that you kind of give a name to something. So you could have have a object that has name, string, and age number, but in a Java-like language, if it's a class inside of class employee, and same attributes inside of class student, these would be considered separate types. I don't know if anybody wants to confirm or yeah. Yeah, yeah that's to reject right. this hypothesis. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I also agree that um, it's probably like not like a right or wrong answer whether either of them is better. But personally, I really started enjoying this uh, structural by default, and then you have some way to kind of trick trick the system to represent nominal stuff when you need to. Yeah, and, and the the structural the structuralness goes a bit further. Like I I, I think. Um, like it, it's not just normal objects because it also applies to like you can use arrays as tuples, for example. You can um, you can use literal. This is a feature called literal types. So you have you can use a string as a type, uh, which can only have the value uh, of of that string, which is really powerful and interesting. Uh, and same with numbers too. Uh, and that sort of stuff, and that's just like scraping the surface. There's so much more. Yeah, I think the the programming language theory term that most applies to this is subtyping, which means that when you, you don't really compare types equality, you compare them like unidirectionally. If one one type is one can substitute another one. Yeah, and I, I think an, an interesting point point about this might be that the the structural Structural typing of TypeScript is very much driven by the the nature of JavaScript. I think because TypeScript, of course, is much newer than JavaScript, and there's there's millions and millions of lines of existing JavaScript code, and hundreds and hundreds of different conventions that have become very commonplace in JavaScript because of its dynamic nature. And to make any of these so that it, they are viable to represent in static typing, you really need a very very flexible type system because you often in JavaScript you often come up with these ad hoc object structures that you pass around and sometimes add add some fields to them, sometimes remove some, sometimes map something to something else. And with a nominal type system it would it would mean that you'd need tons and tons of boilerplate to make them mm. representable. So the structural type system really makes sense in the in the yeah. use case. And one big yeah. benefit one, one big benefit of that is that you can take any JavaScript library and just use it from TypeScript. Um, like, you, add, you have the typings, uh, which you can get from NPM or write yourself, and then you can just use any JavaScript library like it was written in TypeScript to begin with, which is a really powerful and like important part for TypeScript, especially for using it in production. Uh, since we, we previously mentioned Flow, and I think one of the downsides of Flow was that it had a much smaller uh, ecosystem of of like these uh, typings for for popular li- libraries even though if it had the po- it might have had enough power to do them but there was just not enough community or it was too hard to write these these uh, interoperability layers for flow yeah that's true because i think i think typescript above all is a very pragmatic language we'll probably get later to the partial unsoundness and some oddities in typescript but it's it's safe to say that that the language was built for real real world usage not not like 
as a theor- theoretical concept mm. for academic papers. It's very different from languages that are more aimed at, at purity and and concepts that you can easily represent in a white paper. Yeah. So what about like more advanced typing in TypeScript? Are there some differences to other type systems? Like, of course, it's obvious that it's only compile time, at least in most of the time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, is there something you can or can't do with TypeScript when you compare it to other languages? Yeah, I think there's there's a couple. Well, actually, I don't know. If you, if you go to some like research areas or something, you can probably find somebody who made a language that did many of these things earlier. But I think if you compare against like mainstream languages, then I think definitely the kind of flexibility of creating new record types based on other record types that I think Yuso was referring to earlier, that I think is really impressive. And I haven't seen that to the same degree where you can take, for example, a big interface and you create a new interface by saying, I only want this attribute A and B and Mm. C. You can greatly kind of like uh, reduce the complexity of of your smaller functions by doing that. Um, and you have this, you can take two interfaces and kind of put them together and create a combined interface. You have, uh, we have mapped types where you can kind of take, take something that contains multiple attributes and apply a kind of type transformation to each of them, which is also something I don't remember seeing any, anywhere else. Uh, we have conditional types, pretty recent one where you kind of have like a type level function it's a bit, of course, a very simple, simple expression expressions that you can use within this e- expression. Basically, just a ternary condition where, if type is this type, then you it should de- uh, inter evaluate to this other type. Else, it should become another type. And uh, recently, we have string literal types, which I think many people have been or string template literal types. Yeah, which I think the first time people see this, they're actually quite confused and uh, uh, maybe excited and uh, feeling a mix of emotions that <laughs> it looks so weird, but there's so many kind of interesting things you can accomplish with that. So I think those are maybe some of the things you can do with TypeScript that you can't do with others. And I think if we go uh, even a few steps back, I think one of the very, very standard features that we consider like uh, an integral part of the language, like union types and intersection types, are something that are not not present in nominal languages generally. And I think those are very power- powerful concepts, even though we maybe con- consider them pretty pretty standard nowadays. But union types, for example, they they enable you to model the domain very very carefully, so that un- impossible states are unrepresentable, which is which is a very very important concept in in simplifying code and making making sure that you address all the necessary cases and nothing more. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a very powerful type system. Sometimes maybe even too powerful. Um, and also, it's like the type system is Turing complete and quite easily. So so you can in theory do like arbitrary computations within the type system, which is great from a theoretical standpoint and maybe confusing if you're handing over your project to, to someone else. Um, Absolutely. But, but also like there are also, even with this, all of these capabilities, there are also many, many downsides to the language, uh, inherent downsides to the language as well and the type system. Like because it's just compile time, um, the type system is in a way less safe than, than you would find in many other languages. Because even your types can represent many complex things, but you cannot be sure at, at runtime that something is actually something. You have to blindly trust the type information, or like the compiler trusts the type information, and it doesn't do any runtime checking for you. You have to do it yourself. Um, but that's where we have IOTS, right? And and yeah. Yeah, but in, in general, if, you, if you're new to TypeScript, it's very easy to to come up with code that's that looks like it's nicely and very well typed but really breaks in in real use because because there's there are inherent unsafeties to TypeScript and and methods to do things that are are really not safe and that are not really obvious in the type system which I, I 
I generally consider a, a downside. Yeah. Yeah, and then you kind of end up using the IoTs that Sam mentioned practically everywhere. Yeah. If you want to like have the total safety. And I, I like IoTs, but I think that it's it adds quite a lot of, lot of boilerplate code. Mm-hmm. And then there is the FPTS dependency and you get the either monad and all that stuff. Yeah. And then you <laughs> need to decide like do you want to escape from that somehow or do you want to go full in? Yeah, do, do you do you give up and, and write your TypeScript like it was Haskell? Uh, which it, which it, it is not either, even though both have powerful type systems, but but Haskell it is not. Yeah, well, Haskell doesn't have as good records, right? I have tried a couple of times to write some like less serious programs, like I would be writing PureScript or Haskell, but uh, with FPTS and TypeScript, and each of the time I like just start thinking I'm doing something totally wrong, and this isn't designed. TypeScript isn't designed to do this. Yeah, it it kind of restricts you to the good uh, the good parts of the language. Like you, you basically can do anything, but it only becomes uh, natural if if you follow the the kind of standard practices that the language supports. Like you cannot really write Haskell in TypeScript, or you can, but it's not very nice. Uh, and same with like, if, if you're using TypeScript, but you use any type or unknown type, or like these unsafeties, uh, these loose types everywhere, then you lose a lot of the benefit too. So you kind of have to find a code style that fits the language. And maybe fits probably your context, your team, for example. Absolutely. Where if everybody around you is very familiar with Haskell and can imagine how to translate the Haskell pattern easily into kind of a JavaScriptish pattern, then maybe you can make it work. But yeah, I agree that for most teams, they, they probably shouldn't be trying this, yeah. For me, I think my my pet peeve with TypeScript is that the distinction between type-safe features and not type-safe features is not always always very clear. Like with, with as you can cast a, a type down or up Mm. Only one of which is safe, and in many cases, I would I would really really enjoy it if it was easy to see which where you actually do something unsafe and where 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 the result is not necessarily sound. Yeah, you can use like ESLint or something to to help you find those cases. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it's it's, but, it's easy to hide mistakes <clears throat> in the code. Yeah, and I guess it's it's also partially because TypeScript has gradually become more sound i think there were there were more like oddities in in for example covariance and contravariance of types earlier on and it's not it's not very rigorous it, there's just, some of the some of the like compiler rules are are like best effort and they're they're getting better but still you don't always know if what you're doing is is safe or not in in a strict sense doesn't doesn't the as casting at least do some checking that you're not you can't cast anything to anything you have to like first cast something back to an any and then you could cast it kind of more unsafely or yeah but I, I think they changed the rules around that also in the versions Be- before it was it was more free but nowadays nowadays they do need you to cast to to the bottom value unknown or yeah or any yeah. Okay. So as long as you don't do that, then it will tell you when you're doing something that's unsafe. You all believe, I assume, that like type safety is like important when you want to create working programs. I kind of agree with the. the there's a lot of criticism. Uh, usually, one typical criticism of static typing is that it doesn't help you find all the bugs. So it's not worth it. So it's kind of like, because the seatbelt can't prevent every accent, you don't need to wear the seatbelt. But to me, I think, uh, yeah, I agree that I, I wouldn't rely only, especially for like a, a more maybe real world important system. I would not rely only on types to keep it from actually uh, to, to check that it works correctly according to specifications. Of course, it should be tested and everything. So for me, rather than the correctness, I just find that the kind of developer experience I get when using types is so much more pleasant because I, I can much more quickly see when I make a mistake while I'm editing. Of course, you have the option of also having like a very good test suite 
um, where you have everything very cleanly kind of uh, abstracted away so you, all, you can run the, the whole test suite in just a few seconds and then you can see where something failed and figure out that you did something wrong. But that's quite hard to do for a lot of teams. So they tend to start having like tests that do a lot more uh, with uh, I.O. and using databases. And then doing this verification tends to take longer and longer and longer. But a type checker usually can give you the answer of whether you, you put together two pieces of a puzzle correctly very quickly. So that part is one thing that I really enjoy. And I also think it's kind of good to like when you work with some external API or something, you take the, the hit once to like figure out, okay, what are the attributes here? And then you kind of nail them into this shape of the type. And then when you come back to work the next day or the next week, you don't need to go back and, and redo, reread this documentation to like figure out what was all of these attributes called again, because you already did that work once and now your editor will remind you of what is in some specific interface, for example. Yeah, and I think a good type system is a compromise between usability and development experience versus the absolute safety. There are type systems that are a lot stricter than, than type, TypeScript, and TypeScript could in many ways be a lot stricter, but it would, it would definitely reduce the use cases available and make developing harder. Mm. And it's, it, it is nice that there are escape hatches from the types when it's not possible to make the compiler understand that something is safe, even though the developer can, in some other way, deduce it. Yeah, like Sam said, like TypeScript gives you some type safety, but not all of the type safety, and and you have to be okay okay with that and have realistic expectations for the language. That's right, and you need to like really understand. Also, what's at play, like where I'm, where I'm, I am, like being unsafe, and what mm -hmm. to do in those cases. Yeah, like using the IoTs. Mm -hmm. What about like third-party JavaScript libraries and type safety with them? For example, at types package would provide me invalid data. Mm -hmm. Have you like experienced those cases? Yeah, okay, occasionally, and and it kind of depends on the library. Like if you have some of these functional programming style libraries which are not built for TypeScript from begin with like uh, Ramda, for example, and, and to some extent Lodash. And they are like, the, the, the types are in a way high quality being, and they've been worked on for a long while, but still many of the functions in these libraries are kind of fundamentally unsafe or like really hard to, to validate even using TypeScript's type system. So it's, it's kind of a minefield sometimes with those libraries. Like, can I use this function? Will this be a problem? That sort of stuff. But, but usually, like with, with the average libraries, the type, types are about as good as they get. Yeah, I've had, I've had pretty much the same experience. Sometimes when you need to use some very niche library that's not maybe very recent, there might be very old, old outdated typings or, or no typings also. But in those cases, it's, it's often pretty easy to come up with the, with the correct typings. And I think it's a good exercise to once in a while use some external library and write the types for it yourself to make sure that they are, are correct. Uh, the ecosystem is getting better and better all the time. And just a few years ago, it was very common that there were no types available or the types were a few major versions behind or something. And nowadays it feels that it, it's, it's more rare that you ac actually encounter invalid or no no typings than that you do. Yeah, I also I feel like within the last four years or so, I've had this situation a couple of maybe three, four times where, like you also said, there's a kind of niche library and you're trying to use a newer version and they forgot to add some attribute or something. And But I, on the other hand, have found it to be like, in those times, kind of very frustrating and very difficult to figure out how to trick TypeScript into understanding that I want to add just this one attribute to a type that's specified by the, the already existing declaration files. So I think that's one area where the TypeScript team could probably like greatly improve the kind of onboarding experience to like, they, they try to explain, I think there's a section where they have like maybe four or six different scenarios for if you're doing this, if you're doing this, if you're doing this, but they're not covering, for example, this case where you just wanna, you just wanna like 
monkey patch in one more little attribute here and you have to figure out should I use declare, namespace, module, double quote, single quote, should I import the thing first? I think it's it's incredibly tricky. So I've been yeah, frustrated. I, think that, I also think that the, the declaration part of the language is is a lot more hazy to me than than the other parts because you very rarely need to do that sort of thing if you are not mm. authoring libraries yourself. And whenever I, I get there, it's it's true that I, I have to look up quite a lot to see how I was able to override these types the, the last time or how to do this in that. Yeah, yeah, I have the TypeScript handbook open basically whenever I'm writing type, type annotations or like type declarations for an external library. But it's really, it feels really good to get get the types working for an untyped third-party dependency and then being safely, in quotes, safe, safely able to use it in your code. It's, it's a really nice experience <laughs> yeah, I, afterwards. I completely <laughs> agree about this, like, ah, yeah, now it feels really nice. Yeah. You took that extra two hours to make it safe for your little case, but it feels <laughs> nice to you. Yeah, and it's, it's also nice, nice to contribute and, and pull request your, your typings to the library once in a while if if possible it might, might be that the author will merge them or not or they will be forgotten but it's nice to give it a shot so it so your topics could help some somebody else as well maybe it was 2017 i was working with a large team on i don't know maybe even like more than a million lines of code or something and there was like a huge debate on converting to typescript to get some safety at that time, some people were argumenting against the conversion because the type dec- declarations wouldn't give us the safety. Uh, and please consider this was like maybe 2017, so it's a bit different world now. But uh, yeah, I'm happy that things have moved forward with that. Yeah, I, I, I was in a similar situation, I think, in 2016, summer of, summer of 2016. Like uh, we had this huge, not as large, but quite, quite a large um, JavaScript project with a very complicated domain model. And we were debating whether or not to add type annotations. Um, and, and we were discussing whether to use TypeScript or Flow or what. And, and if I recall correctly, like, uh, I, I was doing a, I had a summer job at that time, that time. So I left like in September and, and I came back the next summer. And I think in that time, if I recall correctly, they had written some parts in Flow and now they were converting them from Flow to TypeScript just in that one year. Great experiment. Yeah. What about other features of TypeScript typing? Typing information you get nowadays is you can consider it pretty stable and like trust it without evaluating too much. But what about like other features in TypeScript that maybe is missing? Like if you think of think of Scala or maybe even Clojure, you have for example pattern matching. Yeah, I, I would love to have pattern matching in TypeScript, uh, but like like we saw earlier about um, TypeScript 2.0 and the new direction of the language, that it is just JavaScript. Uh, so, so that basically means that TypeScript cannot get pattern matching before JavaScript does. Um, there are some proposals for that, but uh, I think they have not made much progress uh, lately, but we will see. Yeah, I think it's pretty complicated to figure out how the pattern matching should really work in JavaScript, but I'm sure that once once it's once the proposal is finalized, it will be in TypeScript pretty sh- pretty soon. It's it's been nice lately when we've had new JavaScript features like the knowledge coalescing and what else some some other other similar th- things that make make life easier developing JavaScript. It's been, th- those features have been adopted in in TypeScript very fast, yeah. and it's been very pleasant to get to use them basically from from day one. Yeah, these proposals tend to land in, in TypeScript slightly before they get adopted uh, like natively by, by JavaScript engines. Um, so like when the proposal is in stage two or stage three or yeah. whatever the process is. I think in, in some cases they've kind of kind of been a bit too much ahead, like with the with the annotations. Yeah, I think in those TypeScript was very fast to adopt. I wonder if it has something to do with them being a very like OOP feeling feature, mm. like familiar from Java and the others. And yeah, the the de- decorator, oh, de- decorators, decorators, yeah. yeah. And and yeah, de- de- decorators are an interesting feature because they are 
still in that language. I think you have to enable a, speci- a special compile time flag for them, but it's, it's one of the rare features that's in TypeScript, but it's, it's not in JavaScript. And I think the reason for them, if I recall correctly, is that they are used by like Angular. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And, and there was like in 2016, 17, there was like a debate that should, uh, because Angular was depending on those, those, um, on, on that feature. And they were about to remove it, remove it from TypeScript, but I think they were about to fork TypeScript into a different language if they don't keep the feature in. So that that's why they are still in the language. Yeah, it's an interesting exception to the, to the rule, and I, I guess it's something that they can't can't get rid of anymore. I mm. wonder what the stage for JavaScript decorators is at, at the moment. Yeah, there, 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 I don't know. No, no idea. No, but, but, I don't but, remember. <laughs> But the version implemented implemented by TypeScript is is not the one that will be stabilized. Yeah, there's going to be some interesting interesting time times when ah, the feature lands so in the, JavaScript. The actual proposal has changed kind of beyond the version that's implemented in TS or. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a chance to abuse all this advanced typing in some way? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Like, I think one in. in Maybe there's two quite interesting examples from recently with the string template literals where one was like a full JSON parser and another one I think was an SQL parser. So you can write an actual SQL string and that basically becomes a type that represents the selected attributes from the query. Those are more like experimental and well, who knows, maybe they could become mainstream at some point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You can definitely make types so complicated that, that the code base uh, is, is hard to hard to use. Like you can get more safety at the expense of usability. Yeah, and as Pavo mentioned earlier, the even the type system itself is Turing complete nowadays. So I think the only only limit for this very advanced recursive type type transformations is that is that the compiler only takes a certain amount of inference steps, but you can al- already do some pretty crazy stuff with the with the current implementation, like like Sam mentioned. Yeah, for for example, I um, a few months ago I, I implemented like a cellular automaton kind of thing in the type type system rule rule one one zero. Yeah, that's that's weird. But but because of the recursion limit, you could only do it for like nine lines of the simulation, and then it stops. <laughs> yeah. So what about the use cases? Of course, it's pretty damn obvious that, okay, it's it's like targeted towards web developers at least. But what do you think, like considering, what are like your favorite use cases for TypeScript where you, you think that it would be giving you the most benefit over like some other mm-hmm. solutions? I use it for everything nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can guess it. <laughs> Then in the in the front end space, I don't think there is any other language, uh, or at least any other JavaScript like language I I would use, um, at least in like a serious production environment. Mm. Um, and of course, we also use it in in, in backends with Node.js, and it works quite well there. Um, but but uh, but I I would also say that I think the browser ecosystem in a way works better with TypeScript than the Node side. Uh, because Node.js doesn't have official TypeScript typings and like Express, for example, doesn't work quite that well with TypeScript. It does, but it's it's quite unsafe because it it does all of this monkey patching of request objects and, and that sort of stuff. You can use Tupera. Yeah, there are, there are solutions. Which is yeah. like an awesome library that has saved at least my ass like many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Express. Yeah, we know the problem is that the design space of of like server libraries is most mostly predates TypeScript, I think. So so the solutions were for a more dynamic era. But I think with new libraries, the the space is maybe changing. Like mm. TypeHera, for for example, that's mm. built on on top of Express and Koa, I think, but but offers a more type safe interface to doing the same things. And also. Uh, speaking of Node, there's also Dino. Have you have you heard of Dino? It's like it's like this new yeah. Node competitor, Node replacement from from the original creator of Node.js. And and one of the thing about that is that um, it basically contains TypeScript natively. 
uh, in the sense that the the Dino um, executable runs the TypeScript compiler for you. It's still not an, like a native implementation of TypeScript. It's just a normal V8 uh, and the TypeScript compiler, but they're just interconnected. And it has uh, type uh, type annotations out of the box. Yeah, it's, that's a super interesting project that I've been meaning to look into. I, I wonder how much it can really in the future use the type information in the in the actual running of the code, like how, how much can you rely on the type information for mm. optim- optimizations, for example, since TypeScript is not yeah. that safe. But I, I think it also supports JavaScript, so maybe you cannot rely on it at yeah, all. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it's like the type information cannot and at least now isn't utilized that, that heavily in the, yeah. in the process. But really looking forward to it. It sounds interesting, but haven't had time to try it. Yeah, me too. I have kind of only heard of it. But you you also quite early touched the topic of the monoculture thing. And would you say like we are heading towards this kind of monoculture where we always like pick this same solution? While I, I don't personally mind, I think that TypeScript is very great and I like it a lot, but I'm sometimes a bit worried. Uh, it's hard to put into words, but I'm a bit worried that do we like miss something, some kind of development in, in other fields of computer programming since we are like putting all of our focus onto TypeScript and mm. that Microsoft stack, basically. Yeah, that, 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 that's, an, that's an interesting discussion. Um, uh, I have a couple of points about that. Like, in a way, TypeScript monoculture is just the same thing as JavaScript monoculture. Um, uh, yeah, I so, thought the same thing exactly. Yeah, yeah. so so uh, is there a JavaScript monoculture? In a way, yes. But in in the browser, we don't have that many realistic options, at least until WebAssembly um, gets more developed. Maybe maybe that will change some stuff. And and the other other points I have about the monoculture aspect is that I, I think even TypeScript itself is not a single culture. Like there are many communities within TypeScript uh, with like different focuses and different proficiencies and and that sort of stuff. Like um, for example, the Angular community for TypeScript is very different from the React community or the the functional programming FPTS community. Yeah, that's true. And I, I do feel that probably the the huge adoption of TypeScript in both client but also on server does take some air out of the space from other languages. But but I think that's basically always been the case that there's one or two very popular languages that kind of run run the scene for for a certain amount of time. And I think they go go in these trends. I think in from the 90s, these dynamic scripting languages started to become popular, and especially in the in the beginning of the of the century, like languages like Ruby and some Lisp languages and Python and JavaScript definitely were were the dominant players. Ruby and Python in the backend, I guess. And I think the trend has been turning towards statically typed languages, partially because of ty- TypeScript for for some time. But it's it's not only TypeScript. There's other languages like both Ruby and Python, for example, are adopting these optional static type annotations and there are other other languages in the in the space as well and it, it feels like it's it's not just typescript monoculture it's more of a new golden era of statically typed languages used in in things like web servers yeah, yeah. i think <clears throat> i think like exposure to c++ and java probably left a bad taste in many people's mouths from static typing and they thought this is all there is to it but then recently, I think people have started realizing that, oh, you can have things like type inference. So you don't have to type that uh, this is a string when I assign a string to it. And it's kind of, you, yeah, there's a lot of boilerplate you can eliminate. So the, the old uh, criticism that it's, it's much more verbose to have the types, that one also goes away at the same time. Yeah, and many companies have also like decided to like swap from some other languages to TypeScript. I think that we had some kind of list like including Figma and Dropbox and Airbnb and that sort of companies. So there is sure yeah. a reason for that. Well, I think was it Airbnb the uh, finding they had from analyzing their I don't know what what how they classified it if it was severe production problems they claim that 38% of them could have been prevented if they had used TypeScript mm. from the start. So 
there's some kind of actual numbers of, of teams feeling that they're getting a real concrete benefit. There's there's an interesting interesting parallel to to draw there, and and this this would be the subject of a different podcast, I think. But uh, when talking about like uh, systems programming, like nat- native programming with with uh, C and C plus and 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 now, nowadays like Rust, for example, uh, they've found like using these newer, safer languages would have prevented like 70% of all vulnerabilities in those traditionally uh, C, C++ code bases. So, so and, and many companies have found the same figure. So maybe with type systems uh, in, in the front-end space or like this not, not uh, bare metal space, uh, they some maybe there's a similar figure for preventing bugs. That might be very yeah. true. And maybe one point I wanted to make about the monoculture is that I had been like a little bit frustrated with the other side of that earlier where I was very excited to see some kind of like ML style language that you can use in the browser, for example. But I felt like the efforts were very like divided. You had BuckleScript and Reason and Elm and PureScript and you had... You have something for Haskell, I guess, too. Um, mm. But it means that they're, they're all getting, like, they're sharing that effort. They all have to implement their own kind of uh, editor support. They they all have to discover and go through the same kind of bugs. So I think it's, you know, in, in another sense, I think it's really awesome that you have TypeScript where Microsoft is putting a lot of money into actually making it really great, fixing bugs all the time. Uh, making sure that the developer uh, tooling is really great in VS Code. So that's the kind of like other side of the coin of the monoculture. Yeah, yeah. Microsoft is, is, has been historically pretty good at like dog fooding using their own products. So when they are developing the language and some of the largest code bases that use the language, um, then they have like kind of unique insights into what the language needs. We have been having fantastic discussion and I feel that this is a topic where we can extract so much of stuff. But uh, for now, thank you for all of you three for like joining this episode. I'm super happy to meet you all here. And this was like totally wonderful discussion. And of course, please subscribe to our podcast and read it. It, it like really supports what we're doing here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.